to open up the word. So, Chris, thank you, and um, hope it's yours. Thanks, Ian. Actually, Steve gave us a few weeks' notice, so I had time. Lord, we pray for you to reveal yourself in your word today. We pray that you will help us to uh, to have more focus on you, to worship you with all of our hearts, and to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> We're going to be uh, looking at Philippians chapter 2, but before I go into the passage, I just wanted to share a little bit from the story of Mary Slessor because she very much embodies the, the lesson that we're going to be learning today. And so Mary Slessor uh, became a missionary, went to Africa. Uh, when she was still a teenager, she was growing up in Dundee, Scotland, and she had a desire to share the, the Word of God with people. So she was teaching a Bible study, and she went to the poorest slum in Dundee to teach this Bible study. The pastor there told her not to go there by herself, since she was just a young girl. But she kind of forgot the instruction, and she was there early one day, opening up the classroom. And there were four teenage boys that came up behind her. And one of the boys said, So, carrots! You're going in to teach the Bible, are you? She had red hair. Yes, I am, Mary replied firmly, swinging her head away. He grabbed her hair. Would you like to come in? The biggest boy laughed. Nay, but we'd like to have a bit of fun with you, though. Hold her arms, lads. Forgive my poor accent. I'm not. <clears throat> Two of the other boys grabbed Mary's arms and although she struggled, she couldn't escape their strong grip. Now, let's see how you like this, said the lead boy, taking a string from his pocket, and tied onto the string was a piece of heavy metal with razor-sharp edges. Tell me you'll go home and forget this foolishness, and I'll let you go. Otherwise, we'll see how brave you really are. Mary stared up at the piece of metal, and then at the boy, her blue eyes opened wide with fear and defiance. Do what you want to me, but you'll not get me to give up my Bible teaching, she said, waiting to see what would happen next. The lead boy held the string above Mary's head and swung the razor-sharp piece of metal back and forth, letting it get closer to Mary's face with each swing. Are you ready to give up yet? taunted the boy on her left. Mary didn't say a word. The metal was only a quarter of an inch away from her forehead. The third boy goaded. This is how the Chinese torture people. But the sharp piece of metal gouged across Mary's forehead, and blood flowed down her face. But Mary kept her eyes open and stared directly at her tormentor. Suddenly, the boy stopped swinging the piece of metal. That's enough, he said briskly. She's tough, boys. The other boys released Mary's arm, and Mary reached, reached for the handkerchief in her pocket and pressed it against her wound. Now you've had your fun. Won't you come in and see what this is all about? Mary invited with a smile. And whether it was because she was talking to them instead of screaming with fear, Mary did not know. But whatever the reason, the boys meekly followed her inside, and soon 
they were joined by 20 or so other children and teenagers. And before the day was over, the boy who tormented Mary with a piece of metal had become a Christian. So what we'll see here, we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Um, If you don't have a Bible, you can put up your hand and you can get one. Um, Yeah, or you can just watch on the screen. I'm going to have all the scriptures up on, on the screen. Okay, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. There's one point that comes across loud and clear in this passage, and that is he's giving us a couple of examples in order to encourage us, all of us, to follow Jesus, to put Jesus' interests ahead of our own. You see, in, in verse 21, he says it sort of in the negative way. For they seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is Timothy sought the interests of Jesus. In verse 22, how did he serve Jesus? He served alongside of Paul for the gospel. In the gospel. Epaphroditus was a brother and a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. That means he was partnering with Paul in the gospel. And that is really what he means. Serving the interests of Jesus is serving the interests of the gospel. And we'll kind of go back and review a little bit where we've come so far in Philippians to see how that plays out. But Jesus has told us to go and make disciples. That's his command and that's what his interests are. So as we go through this message, be thinking in the back of your mind, can I do that? Can I put the interests of Jesus ahead of my own? We see the theme of the gospel all through Philippians. 
Paul introduces his themes in most of his letters right at the beginning and then elaborates on them as he goes through the letter. And that's true in Philippians. He introduces right at the beginning because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, in verse 5. So he really is talking about uh, quite a bit through Philippians about the partnership of the Philippian church with him in the gospel. They worked together with him, they supported him financially, and they sent to him Epaphroditus to help to meet his needs. He elaborates on that, and you can see how much emphasis there is on the gospel here in this passage 12 to 18. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others preach Christ from goodwill. The latter preach Christ out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He doesn't care about the fact that he's in prison, that people are taking advantage of him while he's locked away and making trouble for him. He says it doesn't matter. What then? Does it doesn't matter because the important thing is that the gospel is being proclaimed. That's all that matters to Paul. He comes back to it in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This pretty much sums it up. He wants us to live our lives worthy of the gospel. That's what we live for, is for the gospel. And what keeps us from putting Jesus first? He says other people put themselves first. Well, first thing that comes to mind is what keeps us from putting Christ first as ourself, our own interests. We like to be comfortable. Sometimes it's not convenient to share the gospel if we keep ourselves always comfortable. We get busy with a lot of other things, and so the priority slips down for us. The gospel isn't the most important thing for us a lot of times. So if we're too busy doing all these other different activities, it can distract us from serving the interests of the gospel. And then there's our our families. Our families are wonderful. They're a gift from God. It's great to spend time with our families, but there's a point where it can become too much, where we say, I'm going to close my door and just enjoy my family all the time and never go out and never bring people in. And if we isolate ourselves from the world, then we won't have the chance to share the gospel. And that's not good. So it's not that families are bad. Families are great. Families are good. This is what God instituted the family. God created marriage. He created, uh, he let us have children. 
But we wanted to put the gospel first. And the last is our desire to sin. Remember, just last week, Steve was preaching on this. And he said, do everything, or do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of our God. And it goes on to say you'll be a light. So when we're complaining, imagine you're complaining, and then the next sentence you turn around and you say to the same person, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to share what Jesus has done in my life. Does it make sense? It seems a little out of... It doesn't make sense, right? Because he wants us to shine like a light for the gospel. Then for us to shine like a light for the gospel, we want to keep away from sin. When When we were living in China, I used to share the gospel with everybody that I met. And the reason was that everybody would listen. Everybody, that you know, you would sit in a taxi and start a conversation with the driver and, and he would want to, you know, you would tell him about the gospel of Jesus. He, he had never heard the story before. So hearing about how Jesus died on the cross and why he died to save us from our sins, people hadn't heard that message before. So it was new to them. That was something interesting. So everybody would listen. And because of that, I was conscious of the fact that when I first got into the taxi or if I went to get a haircut or wherever I went, I would always be thinking, I'm going to probably share the gospel with this person, so I, I need to be nice to them. And the thing is, it's not that we want to have that attitude only when we know for sure, but all the time. It's the same thing here in the States. Anybody that we deal with at work, and in our communities, and our neighborhoods, we may end up sharing the gospel with those people at some point. So we want to be thinking about that ahead of time and how we treat people and the way that we show them kindness because we live for the gospel. Sometimes it's hard to preach the gospel, so we want to do it even when it's hard And we want to take the time and put forth the effort to be as effective as we can. Because it's important. The gospel is important. So it's worthwhile to study and to understand the environment we're living in. And I put down this word postmodern. And postmodern is a philosophical term. Most people don't think in terms of philosophy when they're going about their daily life. But the reality is that consciously or unconsciously, people are influenced by some sort of philosophy. And unconsciously, people will find themselves very skeptical of truth claims. The more enthusiastically you say something is true, the more likely you're going to get people's kind of negative reaction, or at least they'll be skeptical. Yeah, I don't know about that. So it helps us to instead take a little bit different approach instead of coming out boldly and just throwing out what we believe at people to ask some questions and get their input. Where are they coming from? What do they believe? And question their assumptions. And why do they believe that way? And then 
as the conversation goes further along, eventually we get the opportunity to share the gospel. And we can talk about what we believe. But it, it's hard if, we, if we're too force ourselves too, too aggressively, too much, um, you know, just stating what we believe, then it's hard to get people's attention. On the other hand, we don't want to be holding back. Everybody around us should know that we are believers. Jesus is more important than our reputation. And a lot of times, it doesn't feel right for us to bring up the gospel in the conversation. It just doesn't feel appropriate. Probably because in our context, socially, it never is quite appropriate. But that shouldn't stop us. Sometimes we have to break the rules and push the envelope a little bit in order to be free to talk about the, our faith. Because we, we, don't want, we don't want to hold back. The gospel is more important to us than whether we look good or whether we fit in or whether we're meeting all the expectations of other people. When we do find somebody who responds well to the gospel, then we want to spend more time to go deeper and study the Bible. Open them, if somebody's willing to open up the Bible with you and learn about what it says, then take that time and set aside your other priorities and take the time to do it. So the first question I asked was whether we can put Jesus' interests ahead of our own. The second question is, can you think of somebody else who does that? Can you think of any examples of people who put Jesus' interests ahead of their own? Because that's what Paul does. He gives us two examples, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy, he says, is genuinely interested in their welfare. And he looks after the interests of Jesus. And we know from what we just saw that that means the gospel. He served with Paul in the gospel. Now, I can think of one example. We'll come back to Mary Slessor. Mary Slessor, after she grew up, we heard a little story about when she was a teenager. After she grew up, she went to Africa to share the gospel with people in Africa. She lived first, and she lived in the on the coast in one of the villages on the coast where the missionaries set up compounds. But then she just knew that that wasn't enough. The people inland had never heard the gospel before. And it weighed really heavily on her. She, she desired so much to go inland. And she was willing to take the risk. People told her, nobody goes inland and survives. They all get sick. They die. She went. And she was one of the very first who survived long term. She went inland. And she took in orphans. She took in twins. In fact, in those days, in that culture, twins were considered bad luck. And if somebody had twin babies, they would kill the babies because they were afraid that the twins would bring evil into their home, that they would end up, you know, get sick or die or something, would, something bad would happen to them. They would kill their twins. 
And Mary Slessor would go in and into the um, hut where the twins were born and she would capture the little babies and take them to her own place and she would hide them somewhere and then she would raise them up as her own children because she wanted to protect them. She knew this was worthwhile to, to, to save the lives of those kids. But she served the Lord's interests instead of her own. <clears throat> you can see from the picture, she's, um, she's got her hair cropped short there because she didn't care about long hair. It was a nuisance for her living in that place. But what you don't see is that she also didn't wear shoes when she was in Africa because she would go from village to village and tromping through the mud, it wasn't practical to wear shoes. So her feet became large, and then when she went back to visit England, she could hardly get shoes on. But she didn't care, because the important thing to her was the gospel. She wanted to be married. She had a, a man in mind. They had talked about marriage. He was a missionary. He lived in one of the coastal areas where the missionaries lived. She and this man applied to the mission agency. But the mission agency, at that time, they said, look, a woman gets married, she has to go live with her husband. It never goes the other way around. So she was told, you can get married, but you have to move to the coast. We need him on the coast so he, because he's a highly educated doctor and we need him there to train other missionaries. But if you get married, you have to move. And she wouldn't give up the ministry of the gospel. So she gave up marriage. And she remained single her whole life. I turn to another example. This is a modern example. A person that, um, I think it's not her real name, but they will call her Liana. She's a Syrian believer. And <clears throat> her story a little bit is printed here in the um, Voice of the Martyrs magazine, and I, I just this struck me how she really cared about the gospel. In fact, she prayed asking the Lord to use her to reach Muslims in her country of Syria. She told the Lord that she was willing to put her own life at risk, and she accepted it could also cost her husband's life. But she knew the Lord was telling her one more thing. Her children could also be killed. She wrestled with this as any parent would, but her strong faith led her to an amazing response. Most of the parents are worried about their children. If it's not the now from the bombings or being killed by weapons, they're worried about how they'll live with Muslims in the future. But at the same time, we trust God. He is always in control. And Leanna and her husband decided to talk to their children, and they told them that men might come someday, force their way into their home, and demand that they convert to Islam. They told them not to deny Christ. They said that they might feel pain and see some blood, but soon would be in the presence of Jesus. And after that conversation, when they were out of the house, some violent Muslims did break into their home and they wrote on their mirror, which you, you can't see and you couldn't read because it's in Arabic, but what they wrote was, 
we came to slaughter you. Now, Leanna and her family had the opportunity to move away from Syria, but they stayed because they wanted their Muslim neighbors to know the gospel. She put the interests of Jesus ahead of her own. And she trusted that God would do what was best. Second example is Epaphroditus. It says he almost died for the work of Jesus. He loved Paul and he loved Jesus enough to be willing to travel to where Paul was and put his life at risk. <clears throat> you know, as he was traveling, he was exposed to different viruses and, and bacterial infections and whatever. So that there was a higher risk of getting sick. So I think there was a connection between him going to help Paul and the reason he got ill. So Epaphroditus is, a, is another example, but this, this case, he, Paul uh, brings us two examples. Timothy served alongside of Paul. They went out together to preach the gospel. Epaphroditus, it appears that he takes more of a supportive role. He comes because the Philippian church sends him to help Paul, to bring him things, to, to bring him food, to help him to keep warm, to give him um, the news from the Philippian church. Imagine if you're locked away in prison and there's nobody to come and see you. It's pretty hard, but, he, but Epaphroditus comes and gives him support and comfort and he's able to write these letters and he carries the letter back. Probably, presumably Epaphroditus or Timothy would have gone back to to deliver this letter to the church. So he takes a supportive role, but Paul gives him just as much credit and says he did this for the sake of the gospel. <clears throat> now I bring up an, another example from somebody that a lot of us know. Uh, Raj and his family went to minister to the you people. And they traveled overseas to to the you people and Raj was making disciples there and pretty much every person who became a believer that he was discipling had been arrested had been questioned by the police they had to suffer harassment for their faith later on there was a something happened where there was there was violence in the area and unfortunately, Raj and, and his wife, Scout, were out that night and they saw uh, the carnage that had happened. And so this weighed heavily on them. And Raj didn't have the opportunity to share with other people about what had happened. He kept it inside because of the he had the concern. He didn't want to expose his, um, you know, the people that were new believers, he didn't want to expose them to the risks of having the information get out. And as a result, he started to have really bad headaches. Severe headaches that just flattened him. He couldn't get out of bed. 
And when he finally was well enough to travel, he came back to the States. They checked him out. They couldn't find anything fundamentally wrong with him physically. Gradually, he started to recover. He got better. And as he was praying, as we were praying for him, they felt that the Lord was leading them to go back. They went back, but the headaches returned. So he had to leave. He went to Thailand. Then to continue to develop materials and training and, and help to minister to the you people from a distance. And if you want to know who the you people are, you can ask me afterwards. But this, for, for the security's sake, we don't say their name. Raj was willing to put his own health at risk for the sake of the gospel. And he did that. And he doesn't have any regrets. There's another couple, Ryan and Lainey, that we knew in China. And several years ago, a couple years before we left China, uh, Ryan came to me after the after church one day and said, actually when he first arrived there, he came and said, what can we do to help out? He said, that's the reason we came to China, was to help this church. And that's what they've been doing ever since. And so we've been gone for about four years, and they've continued to serve there. Last Easter... There were so many new believers, 17 new believers baptized in that church. So a lot of exciting things happening. And this is on a regular basis. There's probably a dozen people a quarter. But that same year, Lainey experienced a miscarriage. And then she had cervical cancer. So she couldn't have any more children. That's Ryan and Lainey. So she had a miscarriage and cancer and lost her third child. But she she had two children already. So that's their, on the left, is their first child, Rylan. And Rylan was having like some behavioral problems. So they found out he had a gluten allergy, so they took him off of wheat and he seemed to be doing better. But he had this nervous twitch. So they took him to the doctor in Hong Kong and they found out that he had high levels of arsenic and lead in his system. And it's because they're serving in that environment that their child was exposed to this. And you can imagine what a mother goes through when her children are going through these kind of health issues. But that didn't stop them. They're still there. They're still serving because the joy of serving for the gospel's sake, is so great for them, they're willing to keep going and keep going. Last example I give is, is Omar. Omar Nawaid. He served with his wife in Lebanon in, and in Jordan. They worked for 20 years for the gospel. And they had... A children's ministry, they would invite children who were from the refugee areas, the refugees from Syria would, would be pouring in. And they would invite these children 
to this ministry and they would be teaching them about Jesus. Making these children, leading these kids to Christ. And Omar and, and his wife, Mervat, they had uh, a lot of success in that ministry. A lot of kids were coming to the Lord. These were Muslim parents. They knew what their kids were learning. They were happy because these kids were behaving better. They were learning better in school. It just, it was incredible that they could do this thing. And, but then after 20 years in the ministry, um, Omar got Lou Gehrig's disease. And he went downhill pretty fast. So they, they brought him back. They came back to the States to get treatment for him. And shortly after they arrived, they found out that their son, Joseph, had leukemia. And then they had to get him on chemotherapy. And not too long after that, Omar died from Lou Gehrig's disease. And their son, Joseph, went on for five years with chemotherapy. Finally, he passed away as well. So we don't know for sure that it was caused by them being there, but the leukemia, um, one of the risk factors is the environmental hazards. So it's very possible. But they were serving the Lord. They knew the risks. They served the Lord anyway. Lastly, you know, we, we talked about the, point, the one main point, the two examples. Now, there are three times that Paul says, in the Lord. In the Lord, I hope to send Timothy. In the Lord, Paul says, I'm confident that I myself will visit you. And finally, in the Lord, he asks the Philippian church to welcome Epaphroditus. So I'm just kind of analyzing this text and I'm seeing this in the Lord three times and I realize that there's not just two examples here, there are three. Because Paul himself didn't care about himself so much as he cared about the gospel. That's why he was in prison. That's why it didn't bother him that even though he was in prison that and people were stirring up trouble, that's why it didn't bother him. Because he was more concerned about the gospel than himself. So there really are three examples here. When we talk about in the Lord, this is really key. Because for us to say, I'm going to live for Christ and not for myself, it's not natural. It's not something that you can just work up and do it. You need the Lord. It has to be in the Lord. It has to be by His strength. So you call out to the Lord. And whatever you do, you do it in the Lord and you're aligned with Him in purpose. So when you serve the interests of the gospel and you lay aside some of your own conveniences and you, you do whatever it takes to get the gospel message out there, you're doing, you have to do it in the Lord. You have to come to Him. So after all this, we have a lot of examples, both modern days and in history, just like Paul gave examples. There are a lot of people who have lived for Christ. And that's the message that we want to come across with, is that we too can live for Jesus, humbly put Him ahead of ourselves.
And we want to be like these men and women who have served for the Lord. But when we do it, we need to serve in the Lord. There's no other way. These are things, I think uh, Ian mentioned Hudson Taylor, likewise. He was in prayer constantly because he knew that all the ministry that he could accomplish was in the Lord. Only in the Lord. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be with us. We pray that you will lead us. We pray that in Christ we will be able to put you first, take risks, not try to protect ourselves and and lose the opportunity to serve you. We pray that your name will be glorified, that you will be honored, that you will be upheld, and that you will be the center of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.